Welcome to The Glint View. We'll be talking about innovative technologies that address climate change and also the fast-growing business side of the carbon economy. We're taking a close look at how companies, communities, and consumers can take advantage of these new opportunities, including profiting from their carbon emissions data. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to The Glint View. I'm your host, Sia, and I'm joined by Glint CEO, Martha Amram, and CRO, Chin Mua. Today, we're going to be talking about from data to action. Got my carbon emissions data, and now what? So, this is great because now this is all about what I like to say, me, what's in it for me, and we as the audience. So, Martha and Chin, welcome, and let's talk about this, you guys, because I'm looking at this, and Roll with me. Imagine I'm holding the data in my hands because you've given it to me now. Okay. Mm. What exactly am I holding? Tell me, what is it, please? Hey, Sia, great to connect with you again this week. And let's talk about that. First of all, what is the data? And then let's talk about how you might share it with others. Because if only you can see it, it's really not going anywhere. So what we want to do is give every property the same set of data. And it's going to be how much water am I using? How much energy am I using? And energy comes in electricity, natural gas, heating oil, propane, even steam tunnels in downtown cities. So all of the above. And then we turn it into how much have I used? Let me last month or last year. How much did it cost me? And what is the emissions associated with it? Now, there are not emissions on water, but because water costs so much these days and everybody's thinking holistically, everybody asks for it. So we always include it. So now you got your data, usage, expense, and emissions, and we put it into, you're going to laugh because we use AI, but we put it into a spreadsheet. That's because spreadsheets go places and they can go up to the chief financial officer or anybody who's trying to make a business case so comfortable and familiar. They can go into any big database because there's always spreadsheet uploaders. So we found that most people like spreadsheets in You know, right this fall in 2021, we're talking about huge labor shortages. Skilled talent is extremely scarce. So spreadsheets and the technology that uploads spreadsheets, it's already built, saves everybody time. So that's your data. And that's what you can share it with. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I think when we start to look at this level of data, it's basically giving it to the business users. And that's really important because, yes, we have a labor shortage. And so if you want this in a complex format, guess what? You can leverage that data to do whatever you want to do with it. What we're finding also is that um, people are bolting on analytics and reporting on top of that. So they actually get to be able to drill down into the actual different line items. They can actually do allocations across different levels of businesses and even roll it up to specific meters if they wanted to, to to find specific areas of the business of that facility that's uh, using that level of CO2 carbons emissions. So you can do a lot of the stuff around it, but the whole point of this is to really empower the business folks to understand and leverage this data to manage their emissions, whether that is an efficiency play or whether that's more of a market capitalization play. But on the everyday in consumer like you and I, I like to know how much electricity I'm using today. And, and in fact, and how much that calculates into some type of a CO2 emissions, because I want to own that part of that data set for myself so I can make better decisions for my family here as well. Okay. So, I mean, okay. I can see this from a business perspective, like all this data that we're holding, right? So how can we be more efficient from a business operating perspective? So help me understand a little bit this then. So let's talk about 
how to make that better specifically? Because you were talking about spreadsheets earlier and we can recognize it, but could you be a little bit more specific? How can I make it better? So let's take it into two parts. First, the water and energy, you know, sounds so easy, but for a typical hotel, typical place of business, that's like four utilities. It's like three utilities because, you know, you might have natural gas and electricity. So how can I make it better? One of it is make sure you get translated into plain, understandable English, not utility jargon across stuff. And so how to make it better is insisting on that. Then the next step is, as um, Chin was saying, has to be mapped to a location. So let's say you have two offices, one in California and one in Kentucky. And you look at your emissions and you go, whoa, for every kilowatt hour I use in Kentucky, it's like four times more carbon than the kilowatt hour in California. So already you know things. And why could that possibly be true? It's because the electric grid in California has about 40% hydroelectric power, which is really clean energy from a different, you know, from the 1920s. And in, in Kentucky, they have coal and natural gas. And those are uh, two kinds of fuels that have lots of carbon in them. So what's embedded in your electricity might drive your net action as much as what does your property look like? One could be a warehouse and one could be an office. So far, we don't care. We just know that if I want to drop my emissions for every unit of energy I use, I'd go to certain locations. So that's the insights that start coming out immediately from this data. Oh, my. Yeah, it- and, and, and so in, in that scenario where you have Kentucky versus California, this enables the business user to really look at you know, how to either facilitate and, and find a maybe potentially new supplier electricity that's more eco-friendly, or it may be a situation to where they have to look at their business operation. And if it's something that's important to them, like a hotel staff, maybe be able to start in deploying different policies, procedures at that specific location to meet that specific need. So does that mean that you change the light bulbs from incandescent lights to LEDs? That's also a capability. So you have the choice now to do all kinds of unique things because the data wasn't re- relevantly available. And, and Chin just made a super important point because you have the data in your hands, you're in charge. And what's happened in the past has been so hard to untangle utility bill data that someone will sell you a solar system, let's say, and say, And you'll say, I don't know if you guys make any sense. They say, don't worry, we'll get the data for you and show you. But now your data is captive to them. Glint is here to turn that equation, to flip it around and say, no, no, it's your data. You you have just permission, Glint, to get it from the utility. Glint is going to extend that permissioning cycle to you so you can permission the next party. So for any business, this means you can permission your data out and you can get competitive bids. So let the vendors propose the wild and crazy or the simple things like LEDs, but let them show the business case through your Glint data. Oh my goodness gracious. This sounds amazing because it's exciting. It's control back. It's almost decentralizing control and bringing it to what I'd like to say us little people. And speaking (laughs) of us little people, okay, let's bring it instead of uh, business enterprise space and let's go a little bit smaller scale and say, maybe what if you're an SMB or even the consumer space of it. So let's talk about my home, because again, I really want to, I want to hone in on this a little bit more. What can do an individual person do to help reduce emissions? That's great that you're, you're describing something from an enterprise you know, side of things, but what about little old me? 
So if you speak with utilities, they use this fancy word called electrification these days and what it, or energy transition. And what it means is that every utility has a state level mandate and soon a probably a federal mandate to think about how to remove fossil fuels from their energy mix and electrify everything so that you stop using a natural gas stove, it's electric stove. But underneath the, the supply of electricity are very clean energy fuels like solar and wind and battery storage, which enables us to keep on using solar and wind when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining. So combinations of clean tech at the grid level provided by your utility are way, way cheaper than continuing with coal and heating oil. So the economics are clean tech. Then that's why utilities want to do this and they're not fighting it. So at your home, what you can do is accelerate that transition. When your gas furnace breaks, take a look at electric alternatives. When your gas stove breaks, take a look at electric alternatives. If every time you tip to electricity, you'll be better off. And there's a huge range of products. To make this really clear at the resident level, if you have a central gas furnace, it's going to pump out hot air through ducts throughout your home, and you'll feel that blow of hot air. You can change that to room level electrical heating that's way more controllable, less blowing in your face, and, and way more comfortable. So you get kind of these win-wins out of it as well. I, I think the opportunity is, is endless when we start to look at the, the individual in consumer. The reality is that this data empowers the users like you and I to really have a choice to go in and say, look, is it solar power? Is it me building an off-grid capability within my house? Is me allowing me to change uh, providers of electricity and, and water sources, if possible, to a better, greener uh, facilitator? But the, the problem has always been is that what is my contribution? How is that contribution measured? And then how am I positively impacting the decisions that I'm making for everyone else. And all these questions people want to be a part of, but they just never had the answer until now. And wow. to conclude, on, or you know, to add one more thing to what Chin has said, if you think of, hey, I want to sell you solar, and you ask the consumer, can you connect up your utility bills so I can see how much energy and emissions you're using? Frankly, people think that's too much work. And so you come back to this point, Sia, that you're probably very familiar with, which is what's in it for me has, that's what, you know, in marketing, we call the value proposition has to be incredibly high to overcome the frictions of inertia. And so what Glint is doing by actually transforming the data into something that everybody can monetize at the consumer and at the small business level is making what's in it for me incredibly valuable. It's under my control. It's my profit opportunity. I engage in, in my way. And just one more addition to that is, so if, if it's a situation where you own the data and it's your, your decision-making, you should get paid for it. Just like as if you have a solar system with a battery, you can actually sell your power back to the, uh, the electrical companies. This is that capability of you should be able to sell your data and get paid for it. And so that's that's that control, that decentralization, that empowerment to the individual. And it's exciting to be a part of that journey as we speak and creating that opportunity for everyone else. I mean, you guys are hooking me in because you're that value proposition, you're intriguing me. But OK, the pessimist is going to challenge you guys. What's yep. the catch? Am I, can I do this myself? Am I going to have to require an expert and hire someone and negate the value that I'm getting? So is this easy? 
Two parts. One is, yes, data provision is pretty easy. So let's get that part going and put, and everybody has data in their hands. Then the question is, what should I do in my house? And separately, what should I do in my place of business? So in your home, there's something that we might call the pecking order, like what to do first, second, and third. And I'll tell you the number one thing, the two number, there's two number ones you can do. Number one is get a smart thermostat because when you're not home, you can turn it off. And then when you're driving home, you can turn it back on. That frankly saves you a lot of money and energy. And that's what the Nest algorithms are doing for you or any other smart thermostat. So that's a big win. The second big win is, and you see this in Texas all the time, free nights and weekends because you know we're we're used to using energy during the day the business day we have so much capacity on the weekends it's not really used you can get those deals what you can also do is get free nights and weekends clean energy and that's when you're really saving money and helping the planet so those are two types of things you can do in the house to get started immediately And then at your place of business, I do think that we come into the fact that most of us are renters. And so let's follow up on that maybe on another question, but it's just a little more complicated. Well, I mean, that's what we're saying. So I think that's really informative for us as what's in it for me as a consumer. But if I can shift a little bit, and because you've mentioned it, Martha, I do want to talk about this. So let's go to the office. Let's go to that warehouse. You know, what could, you know, a person do to actually reduce emissions? And I say this because we see a lot of companies talking about making themselves net zero, those pledges that we hear about. What are they? And, you know, is it really real or is it a marketing term? Yeah. So let's start with net zero and then go down to the business level. So obviously the word net means something's being subtracted. So it is your usage. Let's say you use a hundred tons of carbon to, and you consume that much in your electricity. That's the one side. And then you apply solar and it's that solar system is so big. It offsets a hundred tons of usage. Now you're a hundred miles and it's a hundred year net zero. That's what netting is about. That's not a bad strategy. And you see large corporations do this. They go buy solar in places where it's cheap to put up solar. And then through the massive global accounting, it nets out at zero. And if you look at Apple's emissions report, that's exactly what goes on. All the property electricity usage for anything in Apple's sphere of control is netted out by their purchase of solar. So net zero can be meaningful but net zero can be problematic. And that's where we hear a lot of screaming by uh, industry insiders. The reason is that if you do net zero, it sort of allows you to buy solar and postpone anything you're doing at your own site. And you could just keep buying more corporate solar and buying more solar. And the folks that are watching the actual emissions across the planet, which are called the science-based target, you know, that we all want to hit, they're worried because the emissions are still growing in, the climate is like the Titanic. It takes a long time to turn it around. So they, they really, based on the science, want to see actual reductions as well as that net zero. Yeah, you're, you're basically just using the money to buy into your net zero policy. And so what we're suggesting is leveraging the data behind your consumption to be a part of your policy as well. And so when we start to look at these net zero policies, Yes, you're supplementing all this stuff because you are a very profitable company. Yes, you're Amazon, you're Apple, you're you're all these manufacturing uh, Teslas and those folks, and, and you have the wherewithal to be able to purchase your way into a net zero. But there are many other thousands and hundreds of other thousands of companies that cannot afford to do that. So 
The answer is, is really, what are you doing today to facilitate and capture your actuals, not your theoreticals, not the fact that you may have an IoT sensor that's projecting some of your CO2 consumption, but what did you do this month? And how did your policy contribute to those actions you made? And so this is a very unique proposition to what we're specifically saying is that you can track your behavior based upon the consumption, actuals to actuals. So let me give you an example. There's a company that does IoT sensors, you know, and they put them throughout a warehouse and those sensors enable robots to do everything in the warehouse. So in the end, a a human walks into the uh, warehouse like for two 20 minute tours in the morning and evening, just to make sure everything's working. But meanwhile, all the robots are doing all the packet floating and so on. Well, what else happened is robots don't need lights. And so they turned off the lights and the heating And they found that the robots paid for themselves with energy savings. So my point is, there's a solution that is a combination of changing how we work that fits every type of property. And sometimes it's fun and crazy like robots. And sometimes it's as simple as adjust your office thermostats. And frankly, you need to have a tailored solution by your type of property. So it is a good time to talk with experts. But back to our premise, with data in your hands, you're empowered. They have to make sense to you. And that's such a valid point. The data has to make sense, and it has to give you some level of return. How does this actually get funded? Like, how does it all get paid for? I don't think I'm quite clear on that. Could you help me understand? (laughs) Well, we're going to laugh because you get to use this beautiful thing called other people's money, not your own. And there is literally 2021 is a game changer. $1 trillion of green and sustainability related bonds have been issued this year. That's other people's money. That's investors who are responding to the immediacy of consumer demand. Consumers want green investments. So that created the market. Now it's flowing and you get to use that money cheaper than ever before to do these projects. So you can get financing for any of these things we're talking about, other people's money. And on top of other people's money, you've got to have the data to get to other people's money. And that's what we can also facilitate as well, because what's unique about our value proposition is that, yes, you can install all these sensors, you can spend a lot of money on infrastructure, but if you don't have the data, you don't have a way to accelerate your ROI and get into those type of green bonds, or even just to have a a business use case, a validation for your business project for sustainability and ESG emissions compliance. And Chin's right. You know, while a consumer may say, oh, what's in it for me? A business says, where's my ROI? And you have to make that business case because even if you are using other people's money, we're all limited by staff and management time. So it's got to be right up there in a cost-effective way on the top one, two, or three. The ROI delivers that and data accelerates the ROI. And that's how you get this wedge up to the top and to the immediacy. Okay. So you're talking my language. I'm a CFO now because you are talking about the business and return on investment. So if I'm the CFO and I've got a finance team, I'm not going to lie to you. It kind of feels like we're trading emission reductions off against other corporate priorities. Mm -hmm. Is it really an and or? Help me understand it. Convince me, please. Sometimes, you know, let's be always frank here. One, sometimes it can be, and it definitely can feel like that. But as my example of the warehouse robot showed, 
just doing business different sometimes has these unintended consequences. So what the game that I think what the challenge on the table at our moment in human history is we've got to turn the Titanic of climate emissions around. And that requires not thinking in the box, but also hearing the pitches that are out of the box. There are plenty out there. And you know what? Our regulations are already in place. So let me just give you one more story. Uh, about 15 months ago, a regulation known as FERC 2222 passed, 2222. This is a game changer because if you think of us people and then above us are the utilities and then above that is the, the national grid of power. Now you can jump from the people level all the way up to that national grid. You can bypass utilities and you can do it in units, according to this new regulation, that are as small as a single uh, home's energy use per day, 10, K, 10, 10 kilowatt hours. So over the next five to eight years, we will expect a lot of proposals come down to homes and businesses. Could you uh, turn off your power for two hours a day and we'll trade for you on the grid? These micro opportunities that are out of the box today, they're not traditional thinking, will be able to monetize data. Yeah. And, and then I, I think that if my conversations with CFOs and CEOs of organizations that want to be compliant with ESG and sustainability, they're going to have to relook and revisit their way that they run their business. Because recently, as Facebook has announced that they're going through a whole rebranding into the metaverse, everything's moving online on blockchain applications, and all these emerging techs that's coming down the pipeline is here to facilitate more efficient use of energy and to, to really enrich the human um, imagination. And so as we start to think about the brick and mortar traditional companies that have been around the past few decades, they're the ones who's going to be struggling. They're the ones that are going to have to really look at what this transformation journey looks like to them. And a lot of it has to do with both the alignment of their corporate execution strategy, basically making sure that their customers are willing to buy their products and services with the, their value stream and align that to what the emissions goals are that they've um, made a commitment to. So if that means a reduction of 10,000 tons of CO2, that's more than just subsidizing it with money. That is, what's my plan of action and how do I measure it that I'm moving down this path and that everybody can see all transparency on how I run my company so that I can meet those uh, sustainment goals for not just the planet, but for my customers and my shareholders. So these are very hard questions that they're going to have to start ask, uh, addressing. And so Glenn is, is looking at those questions and we're developing solutions around it. But I think, Jen, we want to break it down. It still sounds very strategic, which it is, but let's break it down into immediate action steps. Yep. Number one, what are the emissions coming out of my properties? That's doable this year right now. The second one, which you alluded to, is what are the emissions coming out of my supply chain? And course estimates show that they're 14 times higher than the emissions coming out of properties. So of course, that's the action plan. But let's say you bought tires because you're a car manufacturer. You know, can you really do anything about that? Yes, you can. You can use your buying power to talk to the tire manufacturers, but you need to know how much it's offending your emissions goals first. So you back, we're back to data again. And by breaking it down first into properties and then tackling the supply chain informed by your own data, you can respond to what we're seeing in the market, particularly from coming from Wall Street, which is give me data I can track over time, give me data I can track across places, and give me data that is so sensible and auditable, I don't have to scream in frustration like I'm doing today. Yep. 
Well, okay. So brilliant point that you made, Martha, because I am thinking of the financial markets. What are their expectations? Because we've seen board changes, for example, like at Exxon and Chevron, uh, and they weren't expected. So what are the expectations coming out of financial markets then? So Exxon and Chevron being oil and gas companies, if I was a Neanderthal, I could put my head down in my cave and say, that's them. I'm not oil and gas. I'm a travel agency or whatever I am. And I think that's actually a little foolish these days because we see a lot of impact even at the front line of revenues on emissions. For example, hotels cannot get corporate customers unless they can report their emissions by guest room by night. Because let's say I'm traveling for Deloitte and Deloitte's made a zero net zero pledge, that night in that hotel counts against Deloitte's you know, stack of emissions. And so they need to know that data. So what we're finding is this is not a back office issue. This is not a push away issue. This is actually going to affect your revenues over the next three years. Wall Street is making that happen. Yeah. So uh, just a large, well, let's call them out. BlackRock is, is a, has made a commitment on their funds to support all ESGs. And they're actually one of the fastest growing hedge funds because their ESG index is in demand. And so if you are part of this journey and you're committed your company to being ESG compliant and managing your sustainability, you will get a X factor in your valuation and your stock price from both the shareholders and even the hedge funds and investors groups. So I have to, again, push you down a little bit further, guys. What sure. does this data actually show? Okay. Do green companies, as we're talking about, really get better stock returns? Because now we're going money where our mouth is and a broader scale. Um, glad you asked that. Last week, I wrote a blog post um, about a study that came out a few weeks ago in Harvard Business Review. So it's a nice, clean analytics that say, if a company discloses emissions, what happens to its stock price in the next 10 days? And it didn't say if they only disclose emissions lower than what people thought. It's just like any disclosure. Okay, you get 1% return in your next 10 days just for saying what it is. And other studies have come through and shown that you get a 3% return above market if you can show progress on your emissions. And in the real estate world, last week, the New York Times had a, a large piece surveying the landscape to show that commercial real estate is heavily influenced by whether it reports emissions and how green that building is perceived. You wouldn't see it necessarily because much of real estate is held privately. So you're not going to say stock price return, but what you are going to see is will tenants sign up? How much your vacancy rate? What's your turnover? Yep. Okay, so... I've heard this term before, and it sounds great. Martha and Chin, don't get me wrong, but how do you overcome greenwashing? Because I'm hearing more organizations say they're going to do lip service, but it really isn't happening. So can you give me your definition of greenwashing and uh, how this isn't happening or is not the case? Yeah. Chin, you want to start? No, no, go ahead, Martha. Oh, okay. So we've had this term greenwashing for about 10 years. And I think in the beginning, it was like, you promised to be chemical free and there's a chemical in this, you know, soap. But today it's actually much more specific. Greenwashing is about this frustration. Consumers want change. They're voting with their money on Wall Street. Wall Street's trying to respond. And let's just say you're at Morningstar, which runs a stock screening service called Sustainalytics. And you're like, how in the hell do I tell if this is real data or fake or massaged? Can it be replicated? 
And this is where the accounting industry, the SEC, and others are coming forward with standards to say this is how data should be audited so we can all count on it. Those standards aren't out, but it's pretty obvious what to do. The Glint approach is, you know what? We know where the data came from. We always track back to those original sources, but we also at the same time have to make it accessible to auditors. It can't be mysterious to them. It has to be very regularized. Again, I'm going to say AI to spreadsheets once more, but that's the solution. Auditors can easily work with spreadsheets and program up if they know what's coming at them and they compare across companies and time if the spreadsheets have a regularized structure. So that's where we're at today and how Glint can help. Yeah, and, I, and I'll add, I think the, the most important piece of being able to avoid greenwashing is having a predictable algorithm, whether that is a computer line of code that everybody agrees upon or a regulatory framework that everybody agrees upon, that is really going to be the, the standard. What we here at Glint is, is that we understand that auditability, being able to understand where the data come from, being able to have the data linkage all the way back to the invoice itself, being able to explain to an auditor, here's the calculations we use to compute this uh, CO2 emissions in uh, Kentucky because they have coal electricity plants. These are things that can be explained. What cannot be explained is the situation that folks claim that they can or, or are green and they're really not. And so where is the proof? Where is the data? And we here at Glint, that's what makes us very unique and different from all the other practices. So just to put a, another point on this, we're talking about things that add up to trust. And there's the committee called the UN Committee on the Voluntary um, Climate Credit Market. That's a big mouthful, but they are the people that are saying, if we don't figure out what trusted data is, we cannot solve climate change because we need all these individual actions by businesses. What is the scale of the problem? $50 trillion of investment money by 2025 and $100 trillion by 2030. And it's all relying on auditable, trusted data. So everybody is really focused on this issue, but Glint is quite unique in the fact that we actually provide the originating data, not just the algorithms, as Chen points out. Hey, data is beautiful until it's actually executable. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to challenge you guys a little bit further again is... If I were to summarize this, okay, can you just simplify it? Three-step plan. If I were, let's say, for example, a renter or a homeowner, just give me three steps. Go. Who wants to go for this one? Okay. Get your data. Check your light bulbs. See if they're LEDs. And if you can switch to a smart thermostat, do that. And then I'll give you one extra. Check your nights and weekends plan and see if you can get one for free. I would say check your data. Validate all the things that Martha said as well. But also look at the providers that's giving you your electricity and see what their mix of renewable versus green versus coal. Because what that's going to be able to do is that you might be actually able to negotiate your rate once you know your data, because they want that. I mean, they want to keep their customers happy. And so in that situation, you might be able to let people bid for your business. So that's that's a very unique power that we, we have in control now. And, and Chen is pointing out the exact thing you should do in places like Texas, um, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Unfortunately, you can't do that kind of negotiation here in California. So it will depend on your locale. Well, I live in Texas and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to make some <laughs> phone calls. So, okay. That's great from a homeowner's perspective and like a renter, for example, but now I'm a business professional. What should I do next? Maybe I, you know, I want to contribute for my greater organization. 
So um, let's divide businesses into single location and multiple locations, because frankly, it gets complicated really quickly when you're in multiple locations because you're going to have different utilities and your cost. And as we pointed out, your emissions per energy use will vary by location. Frankly, if you are in multiple locations, get your data and put it out to bid and see what people bring to you. You don't have to do the work. Let's get that going. And if you need help on that, Glint works with a huge number of expert analytics and advisory service companies. So get our data and we'll connect you with them. Second, if you're a small business and you're in one location, it's almost back to that homeowner situation. You have power in your electricity contracts, you have power in your thermostat controls and your lighting. And if you just watch those three things in a small office, you could probably cut your emissions and your expenses by 20 to 40%. Yep. That's amazing. And so something that we didn't mention, and I do want to bring this into from bigger picture and kind of pull it back in again, is we see a lot of legislation, a lot of, I don't know, for the lack of a better term, a lot of political, um, you know, speaking going on right now. So Martha, help me understand, because you mentioned the Titanic earlier and with a lot of the stuff and negotiations that we're doing globally, you know, where's the real change? I'm glad you asked that question because as we think of policy events and regulatory events and one, what does, you know, you feel like holding your breath until someone else takes that step. And I think the, the race has started and consumers are demanding green brands. They're switching their spending. Consumers are switching their spending on Wall Street. They're buying stocks and bonds that have this green validated edge. They're not waiting. So why should anybody listening to this podcast wait? And that would be the, the main takeaway that I'd have, which is policy is policy, events are events, but the race has started and we have the power in our own data and in how we construct business models around it to accelerate change the way we, the people really want. Yeah. I, I would never wait for policy. I, I would hate to say that just because the urgency here for climate change to change the way we do our business to be more sustainable, that is on the customers like you and I to tell the companies and services that we purchase from that they need to change and we vote with our dollars. What I'm seeing even in the crypto world is that folks are making strong arguments about decentralization, empowering the individual. And so in that sense, we are doing very much the same thing with our electricity, with our power of our money. And so uh, I think we as corporate citizens should continue that down that path. And that should empower the political figures to really make those changes versus just talk about them. Oh, I absolutely. You guys are making me so excited and happy because you know why? What you're basically saying is we're, you guys are putting data in our hands and it's like giving us, you know, power to the people, absolutely. which is true. It's a very true statement. Very true. So I have to say thank you very, very much. Uh, Glint CEO, Martha, CRO Chin, really appreciate your time. Today we were talking about from data to action. We got our carbon emissions data. Now what? want to leave you with some thoughts on that. And thank you again for joining the Glint View. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Glint View. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe. See you at the next episode.